0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock!
2: My name is Nigel, and it is my pleasure to introduce... The man who watched the Indianapolis mayoral debates, so you didn't have to last night. How about a round of applause for Jason Allen Hammers? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're a people. You're a man of the people.
3: I'm a simple man. wow. I'm a man of the people, and it's how much I love this WIBC Hammer and Nigel Show audience. (laughs) I spent an hour of my life. Watching the second debate televised well, this week between Boss Hogsett and Jefferson Shreve, I, along with the rest of the Hammer and Nigel fans, owe you a debt of gratitude. So, if you missed it last night, consider yourself lucky. <laughs> If you literally did anything oh, no. else last night, if you cut the grass, if you walked outside and tripped in flip-flops like old Mayor Joe and busted your <laughs> lip, that was probably a better use of your time than watching that debate last night. Because it was the same old song and dance. Yeah,
2: I was wondering if we learned anything new last night that we didn't already know from the first debate or that we didn't already know in general about these two.
3: It's the same deal. Set goes up there lies a little bit, dances around questions, and Shreve allows him to do so without any sort of pushback. So the question I had was, is there going to be any sort of follow-up to what Phil Sanchez asked on Monday in the Wish TV debate? Where were you during the riots? Because since that debate, Nige, this story, this leaked email has came out that basically refutes what Joe Hogg said told Phil Sanchez. There was a story from Importantville, which is a substack that people can subscribe to, that says that fact-finding commission that Joe Hogsett was so proud of and was talking to Phil Sanchez about on Wish TV's debate on Monday... Well, there's a leaked email that says mm-hmm. Joe Hogsett might have been bending the truth a little bit during that debate.
2: Yeah, Debbie Daniels, appointed to Ho- appointed by Hogsett to conduct an independent review of the public safety response to the riots in May of 2020, wrote it in the email that I don't think she wanted out. Uh, she, she wrote the email to an advisor for the Sharif campaign that said, quote... There is certainly no indication in that report that the mayor was engaged on Friday night and in contact with his people. The report is silent on that point, so it certainly doesn't exonerate him. I'm assuming that email was brought up.
3: Well, they always say when you assume, <laughs>
2: no, okay, you know I the rest it. of it. All right, fine. That answers my question.
3: So, the moderator for the debate last night was Dan Spieler of Fox 59 and CBS 4. And he kind of asked Joe Hogsett the million-dollar question.
1: Uh, another question here from a viewer, and it's a topic that we've heard from a lot of our viewers talking about the social justice protests that descended into riots in downtown India. 2020. That violence left businesses and some public infrastructure damaged. Mayor Hogg sent several viewers, including Chris Walden, submitted questions asking what you were doing during the unrest in 2020. At the debate you had on Monday, you said you were working from home. Local Republicans responded, saying they wanted to see some evidence or or proof that was the case. What's your response to that? And, And do you have any regrets about not being more visible that weekend in 2020? Okay. Yeah.
3: All right. Good question. I'm okay with that. Um, And here is how Joe Hogsett dances around, skirts the question,
1: and gets away with it. Uh, well I answered the question last night uh, last Monday night when it was uh, when it was offered and I'll be glad to answer it again um, uh, I worked all weekend long Monday night all day Saturday all day Sunday sometimes that was at home I-, I thought that Phil Sanchez's question was specifically directed toward where I was on Friday night which was working at home but I came into the office worked at the on the 25th floor literally all day Saturday meeting with Groups of not only protesters, but also law enforcement officials. I was uh, over at the emergency operations headquarters on several occasions. I was holding press conferences to help the public understand what was happening and why it was happening. Uh, And so uh, that was an incredibly difficult but busy weekend.
3: Now, Nige, I'm not running for mayor. No. But if I were, let's just say I was Jefferson Shreve, my response would have been, that's not what is being reported. There are rumors. There are reports. You are. We're in a rehab facility outside of Indianapolis. Why can't you give definitive proof on where you were that night? Phone records, emails, you claim you were talking to staff members. This leaked email that came out from your fact finding commission refutes that. Why can't you put the information out there? That's what I would have done. Here, it's Jefferson Treve. My response would have been quite different.
1: I'd have been on the scene. I would have led. I would have been visible. I would have been communicative with the leadership of the IMPD. Uh, I would be right downtown where the riots were occurring and the, and the property destruction was was was. Where We let our officers stand aside by their orders. We ordered them not to do that which they are trained to do. And that was scarring. It's had long-term consequences to the morale of the IMBD. It is certainly a factor in our, 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 our the losses that we've had of officers. And <sighs> do I just buy into that notion that I'm going to work from home in an incident like that? A mayor Shreve would be on the scene right downtown in the square.
2: Well, at least I think that's the first time I've heard anybody bring up that the officers were told to, you know, let them march or whatever, stand down or, or however it was put.
3: Right. And I'm glad you bring that up Yeah. because that is kind of what got Joe Hogsett's panties in a twist when they had the time to follow up with each other.
1: Jefferson, you obviously weren't listening to what I was saying. I was oh. not working from home the entire weekend. In fact, most of the weekend I was on the 25th floor. I was moving meeting with law enforcement officials, and and frankly, that's exactly what a mayor can and should do, and that's exactly what I did. It's important to underscore, as well, um, no one was ever ordered to stand aside. That simply did not happen. Were orders given to stand back and give the uh, protesters some room? Uh, I believe they were, and I think it, for the time being, helped the situation. Oh, okay. Okay, Really?
3: So that's so much better. So orders (laughs) were not given to stand aside. The orders were to stand back. And did you catch that at the end? I think, I believe those were the orders given. You're the mayor. You were allegedly calling the shots why don't you know that? Because it feels like that's a pretty big thing. You know, the most violent stretch in the long storied history of the city of Indianapolis and you're not really sure what the orders are? Does that sound like somebody that was calling the shots on night one of the night the riots, well, Night.
2: I mean, I've got a solution. Maybe maybe play the radio traffic of the officers screaming for help. Maybe play the tapes, the uh, 911 calls from the riots. I mean, I, I remember the last debate <laughs> the mayor goes, uh, hey, look, man, we've had Hundreds of uh, protests before with no issues. So, what changed in 2020 then? Right. Right? Who gave the order to stand down is what uh, Rick Snyder president of the FOP is asking. And that is a legitimate question. So if you've had hundreds of protests in this city with no problems whatsoever, what changed with the BLM took over?
3: And I put that little back and forth on our Twitter and Facebook last night. And Vic Reichart, who we've had on this program before, he used to write for The Star, and now he works over at RTV6, um, responded to me. I was there. IMPD did not stand back or stand aside on night one or two when the gas was flying and the riots were raging. They stood back later, and it did a lot to lower the temperature from the protesters. It was good police work, to be honest. All right. So a couple things here. Number one, let's stop calling them protesters. They were rioters. It's okay to call it what it is. They were rioting. People died. Windows were broken. Stores were looted. They were rioters. And number two, I don't doubt Vic was down there. He probably was, but we also had members of our news crew that were down there as well. And Nige, we have great ties with law enforcement. You know, people, I know people, So I took that screenshot of that response from the RTV6 guy, and I sent that to three different members of law enforcement that were working both nights of the riots, and I said, do you buy this? The response I got back overwhelmingly was, no, it's the complete opposite. Wow. By giving them the room, they felt emboldened, and it invited more people to come downtown.
2: Has the subject ever been broached as to why a second night of riots was allowed to happen? Has that ever been brought up in these debates? I mean, as long as we're talking about this and getting everything out there... One night, okay, maybe some could... I I wouldn't say excuse, but you could see how things got out of control very quickly. It happened again for a second night, Uh, Mr. Mayor.
3: Allison, could you play that last clip one more time where Joe Hogsett gets lippy with Shreve? I just want to hear the very beginning
1: of this. Jefferson, you obviously weren't listening to what I was saying. Okay, you can stop it right there.
3: So at this point, Boss Hogsett, one of the great scumbags this city has ever seen, no transparency at all, starts getting lippy with you, Jefferson Shreve. You must not be listening. You must not be paying attention. Jefferson Shreve, you've got all the ammunition here. You know damn well you <laughs> Where Joe Hogsett was. We all know where Joe Hogsett was. This guy's a total zero, and you're going to stand there and let him talk to you like that and act like you're some sort of petulant child. Go sit in the corner for 20 minutes. You've got a timeout. Don't take that crap from him, but he sat there and he took it, Nige. And that's what this whole thing is about. That's what's so disappointing about this mayor's race in Indianapolis, is that Indianapolis deserves better than both of these guys. I honestly feel like there's no difference between these two. One not is a much. shady, non-transparent scumbag. The other one is so wishy-washy and mealy-mouthed and scared of everything. Hell, I'm not sure what would be worse for the city. All I know is that South Park, when it comes to this Indianapolis mayor's election, South Park was 100% right. Let's get
4: out the food.
5: Let's make our <laughs> in action
4: to the a big, or a stupid douche, Which you like
3: yeah. there it is. <laughs> if there ever were a song that describes the mayor's race in Indy, the good people of South Park have it covered.
2: You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. There he is, iPhone in one hand, vape in the other. <laughs> Matt Shout Bear, the, the Traffic Beast, live in studio. Matt Bear, how the hell are you? I'm outstanding. Gorgeous day today, man. What? What? Okay, so what's this uh, marathon tomorrow going on? Oh this, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and how? One. How? You know, much chaos will there be in terms of traffic? Uh, in downtown Indianapolis.
6: This is like the Indianapolis 500, uh, traffic-wise, for central Indianapolis. I mean, Yeah, it goes, uh, th- this course, remember, it's 26 miles long, and it starts downtown, and it goes through like, all your favorites, you know, like the north side and over on the west side and everything, and there's just a huge perimeter. I get stuck in this thing every single year, and I know it's there, and I still go and get stuck, and you are going to be sitting there forever if you do get stuck in it. So, it's, it's kind of one of those days where you think, I really want to drive some, and go do something, but maybe put that slot to uh, to the side for a little bit and uh, wait until the evening, because the streets are, are, are just massive. The perimeter is massive, huge in central Indianapolis. It's a good day to stay home. It really is.
3: I have never missed a radio show or TV show in my life Except for last year during the marathon. Oh, your betting show. I had to go to Wish TV downtown, and I left probably two hours before the show started, and I still didn't make it in time. Like, because traffic is stopped, they redirect you everywhere, and where Wish TV is located on Meridian Street, there, everything around there was blocked. Like, I was freaking out. I was like in panic mode.
6: Yeah, and that's going to be the same thing tomorrow. And and, and like I said, it starts early in the morning downtown streets close at 7.30 a.m., and then they kind of close and reopen until mid-early uh, afternoon in, in the thing. I, I mean, once you're stuck there, man, not only are you stuck there, but you have to watch all these people do something that we can't do. <laughs> so you just didn't it. Hey, I'm happy You're about mad at it. I mean, yourself. You're mad at life. You're mad at your what's, position. What's
2: the mantra hammer of the show? We like it when marathons go on downtown, because it's the, there's just the drive-through line at Hardee's is that much shorter right. for breakfast. <laughs> all the healthy people
3: are downtown. It's a shorter line at Long Donuts. It's a shorter line in the right. Hardee's drive-through. Fatties like us can get in and out. <laughs> and
6: the could get around just much easier. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's a funny bit. You get to watch people, but at the same time, I'm I'm not going to drive until the afternoon.
3: Now you're a guy that works out quite a bit. You know, we kind of made fun of that at a night with WIBC. Yeah. Do you do these marathons at all? Does that interest you at
6: all? Um, they interest me. Just I I think I want to do the mini someday because the mini Indy mini, the 500 mini, just because I've never run on the track before or walked. On the track, and I just really want to do that. Now if that means I have to run thirteen point one miles. I guess. I do, Are you a
2: runner, though? Are you
6: a treadmill guy? I, I used I mean, to be. Yeah, when I was younger, in my late twenties, like four decades ago, I would get on the treadmill and I, I would run forever. Because um, you're
2: in such good shape now, I would assume running is a part of your routine. And it's it's it's. I mean, I know going to the gym is, but not necessarily uh, getting that. Uh, cardio.
6: I don't run anymore. I, wow. I, I really don't. And, um, Unless you're being chased downtown. Well,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> I stopped running. Um, if,
6: <laughs> if I get tased, I can't run anyways. Um, <laughs> it's 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 not a bad thing. You you, you get older and, you know, you, certain parts of your body just, uh, you know, muscles and bones.
2: Whatever yeah, and else you're still getting a little bit of cardio too. lifting weights oh, and yeah, doing things. Yeah,
6: like, yeah I'm I mean, getting cardio. I'm doing the low-impact cardio, you know, you know like sure. the sleds and the and the skis and things like that. But, I, I, but as far as I still like to go for a walk and run. It's still fun, but I'm not going to be competing or anything
2: like that. But part of your... Uh, physique is that something weird for me to say? Talking about Matt Bear's physique. Thank you, Nigel. <laughs> it's, it's it's very it's it's diet intensive, right? It's what you're putting into your body at this point in your life. It l- low sugar, low carbs.
6: that you know. really is the whole thing. It's just watching what you eat, and
3: it. I mean, I I do. This is where you Guys, should go into a testimony of why you vape. You're right, Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> when right? I'm looking to really get into shape, I vape. I only put the best <laughs> vape in my body.
6: You can vape everything. including... Including HGH, it's like <laughs> the old John Belushi <laughs> little chunk donuts out. commercial. <laughs> Balco for vapes. Let me tell you, oh, I've got nothing on me. Now, it's, you do have to watch what you eat, and there's such a myth that your age has so much to do with it. Has a little bit to do with it, but I mean, if you just try to eat right and and just enjoy getting out a little bit, you can live a healthy life. Yeah, I, really got cool. a, I
2: got a problem with those empty calories. Ooh, I think you know what I'm alluding to, yeah, right? I, I used to have a problem with the
6: empty <laughs> calories. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And you're not talking about apples and fruit.
3: No, no, no. We're talking about Beer Sample Friday, brought to you by the fine folks at Thompson Furniture and Mattress.
6: I used to call vegetables empty calories, but I don't (laughs) know.
3: Matt Baer, the Traffic Beast, joining us in studio, also on the YouTube cam right now. If you want to see the beast for yourself, check out the live in-studio cam. So I'm not going to ask you your thoughts on the Colts this week, because the last two weeks I've done that and the Colts have lost.
7: So I'm going to pivot away. <laughs> and say, are
3: you into the Pacers this year? Yes, I am.
6: I very much am. Um, I went through a phase, and it was really reactionary on my part. Where I wouldn't cheer for the Pacers because of Paul George. I, I despise that man so much, and, and I despised how he treated Indianapolis and Indiana. I love this team, and not just because of Tyrese Halliburton, but it just really seemed like they want to play together, and they want to be here. And I, I know I said, I didn't say it on the air, but this, I felt the same thing about Victor Oladipo. He really wanted to be here, and he kind of, uh, at the end, maybe he didn't. Um, this team seems like they care. They seem like they want to win. And, and that excites me as, as an Indianapolis guy. I and man, the
3: games are super cheap to go to and they're fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's you, a fan
2: experience at Cambridge. Right. It's more than just a game.
3: I think but, the Pacers had the cheapest opening night ticket in the NBA this year. Like you could get in the door for like 8 or $9. You, I mean, you're sitting up high, so but good. you're in the stadium for like 8 or 9 bucks.
6: What I would like to see is now, with some of that construction peeled off near Penn with the new amphitheater. I I can never remember the name. The really cool stuff down there, that hopefully that will make the Pacers more of a game day experience. That bicentennial plaza. The bicentennial. Thank you. I can never remember, but I really hope that starts to fill Market Square Arena. Why not? It's (laughs) impact that thing, because I know we've struggled in attendance the last few years, and and we need a playoff season and a couple more things, and and that'll correct itself. But I really want people to come down and check out some of this new stuff downtown, because it is fun.
3: Where can people follow you, stalk you, Love you, and send you photos, Matt. It's, it's Matt and traffic. We have
6: good conversation. There's been a, a lot of activity over on Matt and traffic this week. It's been a lot of fun. Welcome. Please join us. At, and as always, drive safe. And I love Thanks, you guys.
3: buddy. Matt, you you're bet. the best. You bet. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show.
2: My name is Nigel Hammer over there with a special guest on the hotline.
3: Tommy Piggott is the Rapid Response Director for the RNC. You can see some of his work at the popular Twitter handle, at RNC Research. So, Tommy, this past week at the RNC headquarters, did the white smoke go up after uh, (laughs) Speaker of the House was finally named, like when a new pope is picked? Is that how it works?
8: (laughs) Well, there was no white smoke, but uh, we all we're really excited to to see speaker johnson uh, named speaker Uh, he's a great choice really unifies house republicans and they're already getting a lot done it's already it's only been a few days
3: so you say he's a great choice for those who don't follow this kind of stuff as closely as maybe we all do and they don't know every single member of congress why is he a great choice
8: well i think first of all is that he's a unifying force in the caucus i mean he was elected unanimously by House Republicans, uh, which is really telling, I think, of of his presence in the caucus and how he unifies Republicans. Uh, he's been one of the key people in holding the Biden administration accountable, and he's played a key role in a lot of the victories we've already had this, uh this Congress when it comes to uh, passing the, the strongest border security bill in history and making sure Biden's held accountable and reigning in inflation in the parents' Bill of Rights. So I think this is about building on those successes. And it's clear, based off just even the last few days, already a resolution passed the House uh, that firmly states that we stand with Israel and that we condemn these horrific, barbaric attacks from Hamas. Uh, That we already passed appropriations Bills that that have to deal with energy uh, That really reaffirm Our commitment to making our energy more secure Our national security stronger and Really increasing our economic competitiveness So I think it's already showing signs of success And it's only been a few days
2: Well the other thing that stood out to me Tommy Is the hand wringing that's going on With the Democrats and especially The leftist media Nicknaming him uh, Maga Mike Saying you know he's An extremist If, if the Washington opposed to saying bad things about you, then you, I I think you're probably doing something right. Are you not?
8: I think so too. No, I think that's a, that's a great point. The idea that Democrats are really having a meltdown over this, shows that this is the right choice for the American people. And I wish that didn't have to be the case. I wish that Democrats would actually come together with Republicans and work to solve these problems. But it's pretty clear that they're dedicated to doubling down on the disasters that they've made. It, I think one of the more telling things or two of the more telling things that happened during Speaker Johnson's first speech as Speaker was, one, when he called for securing the border, when he said that we need to end this really unprecedented crisis that is, is really killing so many people. Uh, Republicans stood up and applauded in an agreement when he said we should end that crisis. The Democrats remained seated. They refused wow. to applaud when he called for securing the border. If that doesn't show you the war priorities of Democrats, I don't think what will. And I think the second thing that really stood out to me was Mike Johnson's governing philosophy. He laid out these seven principles, he called them that really have made our country great, and they include things like individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, peace through strength. I mean, the list goes on, human dignity. And I I think those are principles that every American can get behind, and I would hope Democrats would get behind them too. But the fact that they're freaking out about this shows that we have a really deep philosophical difference with a lot of Democrats, and I believe the American people are firmly on the Republican side on this one.
3: The fact that he's not known as like a flamethrower, right? Because Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, these are guys that are not short on their opinions. They let everybody know how they feel. Uh, they're kind of like the Dallas Cowboys, right? You either love them or you hate them. There's usually no in-between. I don't know if that's the case with Mike Johnson or not, but I think that actually helps him out, that he doesn't have that stigma of being some hothead that rubs people the wrong way. You know what I'm saying?
8: And I think stigma is the right word. I think a lot of time the left tries to paint a lot of Republicans like this. So, you know, I'm sure they're going to try desperately to, to really, really paint any Republican as as out of step. I think you are right, though. I mean, even from his, his speech, I think it was really compelling. And I think it, it was testimony to the fact of that old saying of, of speak softly, but carry a big stick. You know, speak softly, but stand up for, for your convictions. Speak softly, but make sure that you're standing strong and firm and fighting for what you believe in. I think a lot of the House members, That are out there every day are are much needed. They're much needed to get there and spread that message to make sure that the Biden administration is held accountable on every single medium that's possible. And the House Republicans do a great job of that. But I think you're right to point out that uh, Mike Johnson is is someone that really has these deep convictions and he stands for them. Uh, And he's not someone that, uh, you know, that goes out there and doesn't have the convictions to back up what he's saying. He holds his convictions first and then he acts from those convictions.
3: Chatting with Tommy Piggott, he's the Rapid Response Director for the RNC. He joins us here on The Hammer and Nigel Show. Tommy, turning our attentions to the war in Israel, John Kirby, the Biden Spock, basically goes out and says that Nobody's turning a blind eye to Iran and their complicity with what's going on. Nobody's turning a blind Mm. eye to that. Seems like there's a certain president and administration that's been turning a blind eye to that for quite a while.
8: Uh, yeah the Biden administration i mean it's, it's it's i don't i don't want to be saying that but they're not only turning a blind eye they're turning a blind eye while while also handing out a fistful of cash i mean that's kind of what they're doing at the same time here uh, it's really uh, a terrible policy i was there, there were some strikes over the weekend against certain targets in syria that seemed like a appropriate response based off of what people were saying at the very minimum based off of the attacks against us air bases yep. Obviously, those attacks continue, and so we need a forceful response against what is happening uh, and the targeting of U.S. troops. But it's it's really the creation of this policy from Joe Biden of appeasement. He went out there and appeased the Iranian regime from day one, this warped philosophy from the Democrats that believe if you just give terrorists enough cash, they're going to like you. No, they're going to use that cash and buy weapons to try to kill you. I mean, that's what terrorists do. And the Iranian regime is a terror-funding regime. They are a pariah regime for a reason, because their stated goal is death to America and death to Israel. So we should never have been giving them billions of dollars of cash. And it's not just the $6 billion that was out there so loudly in terms of unfreezing that $6 billion for the Iranian regime. It's also the fact that he's failed to enforce oil sanctions, which has allowed them to enrich yeah. themselves by tens of billions of dollars. So much of this failed policy is rooted in the fact that Joe Biden has failed to stop the flow of cash to Iran, which is what we need to do immediately.
2: Do you think Iran got nervous? I mean, We all know Iran is funding Hamas and several of these other little militias that are attacking military bases, but do you think Iran was really getting nervous about the relationship with Saudi Arabia and Israel finally coming together?
8: If I was to speculate, I mean, I don't. I kind of I, mean, I hesitate to speculate a bit because I think they're mostly motivated by their desire to, to kill course, Americans. Of course, so, um, yes, but I think the the Abraham Accords under yes. the previous administration yeah. were really these historic moves forward, and I do think Iran was seeing themselves increasingly isolated, Right. Uh, and I do think they were worried about building on those agreements and making them ever more isolated, as they should have been worried about it. That was one of the great successes of the Trump administration. The problem is that that only worked because of the maximum pressure campaign as well. There's a maximum pressure placed by on Iran at the same time that you were really encouraging and fostering these historic peace agreements between Israel and the Arab nations in the Middle East and elsewhere. Uh, Biden reversed that policy. He, he mm-hmm. didn't rip up the Abraham Accords to his credit, if that can even be to someone's credit, but he completely reversed the maximum pressure campaign, which let Iran then— act in this way of funding terror proxies. There has been report after report that showed a lot of these terror proxies, Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, were, were complaining that they were broke, that the money had dried up from Tehran before Biden took office. And as soon as he took office, the money started flowing again. And that that's why uh, we've seen this sort of chaos erupt in the Middle East. Ultimately, again, it goes to show that Biden thinks that you can give money to the terrorists and they're gonna like us. No, you should stop the flow of money to terrorists and their attacks. And then once you stop those attacks, you can foster... An environment of peace and and normalization agreements. And it's just showing why we need Biden to not have another four-year term. Tommy, last thing
3: here before we let you go. What's more believable? If I go out and say... I am the starting point guard for the Los Angeles Lakers or <laughs> Jamal Bowman going out saying, I didn't know that I was pulling the fire alarm. Which one's more believable? That's a toss up.
8: Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I'm going to go with the Lakers one. on It really is incredible for those that are listening that haven't seen the video. It's uh, on RNC research that you go watch the surveillance tape. Of jamal bowman uh uh, pulling that fire alarm if if you remember his excuse was he was trying to unlock the door so that's what his excuse was but the order of events was he goes to the fire door removes the warning signs saying don't pull the fire alarm then he pulls the fire alarm and then he walks away if he thought it would unlock the door wouldn't he try to open the door after pulling the fire alarm (laughs) it doesn't I mean, that's what you would do. I mean, that's, a, normal person, a normal person wouldn't confuse a fire alarm for a door handle anyway. But if you honestly thought that the fire alarm would open the door, you would at least try to open the door afterwards. I think it really it calls, at the very least, into massive question what he's saying. But then Hakeem Jeffries goes out there and is asked, you know, is what Jamal Bowman admitted to in court, is, is that worthy of censoring him? And Hakeem Jeffries says, no, not my view. I mean, that just shows Democrats have no interest in accountability, Jeez. no interest in any— Sort of responsibility for their actions. Uh, I mean, it really is ridiculous what happened, and, and Jamal, Jamal Bowman should be held accountable for not only pulling the fire alarm, but then lying about it as well.
3: I wonder what would have happened if it still would have been a slap on the wrist misdemeanor had it been Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene oh, that had please. done
8: that. Yeah, I mean, I think the the difference is the fact that he has a Democrat uh, party label next to his yeah. name. I mean, that's the big difference. I mean, even with the mainstream media running with his excuses, which at the time made no sense, because the first excuse the office put out was that he didn't know the fire alarm would cause a fire alarm. That, that literally was his first excuse, which makes absolutely no sense. Wasn't he a former so, then,
3: school administrator? Like, you should know yeah, how a fire yeah. drill works.
8: Yeah, I mean, anyone knows you pulled the fire alarm, it sounds the fire alarm. That's like the whole reason why the fire alarm exists. I mean, it's, it's even hard for me to – when I'm saying it, it sounds ludicrous. But the media ran with that first excuse. Then they realized, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. So then they came out with this whole, you know, that door is usually open excuse, and then that didn't make any sense. So then he said, oh, I thought it would unlock the door. And then the media ran with that for a while. And now the video out there. I mean, the media has given him – so much of a benefit of the doubt, just accepting what he says verbatim. And I think you're exactly right to point out that this was a Republican. This would have been front page every day yep. and it would have been an entirely different story.
3: Tommy Piggott, Rapid Response Director, RNC. Tommy, we'll talk next Friday. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's the
0: Hammer and Nigel Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is how we
2: you're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hammer, you're gonna have to explain something to me. What are the Florida Man games? (laughs) Sing something here about the inaugural Florida Man
3: games. So, we've all heard stories about Florida Man. Now, if I say Florida Man, what are some things that pop into your head?
2: Meth, nudity, uh, DUI.
3: Fighting uh, alligators. Fighting, sure, Mullets. Yeah, <laughs> you get quite a bit. So the inaugural Florida Man Games are scheduled to take place next year. This isn't real, is it? Oh, it's real. 16 teams with five people each, and they're competing in various events, like beer belly sumo wrestling, <laughs> an obstacle course where you evade arrest, uh... Catalytic converter (laughs) theft. What? Weaponized pool noodle duels. (laughs) Uh, A cash grab where you stand on one of those boxes and you try to grab dollar bills as they fall, but it's hurricane forced winds coming in. (laughs) And there's also a mullet contest and a Florida MAM beauty pageant. So this is all scheduled to take place next year, and you can get information uh, if you just look up Florida MAM. Games. Oh,
2: chicken coop bingo! I've played that, except it's called chicken crap bingo. They had this in Austin at one of those little towny bars where the t- there's two chickens in there, and they w- basically whatever you got to pick the numbers they poop on.
3: Oh, yeah, okay.
2: So that could be that's very interesting.
3: I believe that's what got Michael Vick kicked out of the NFL, wasn't it? He <laughs> right. was he was running those illegal, rings.
2: Illegal, illegal chicken crap bingo games. Yes.
3: Allison, let's do some legal stuff. Crime, punishment, judges. Legal stuff. Breaking the law. Breaking the law. A man in Santa Rosa, California was caught riding his bicycle around the neighborhood selling ice cream and snacks as well as cocaine and meth.
2: (laughs) I was going to say that. Now that's creepy after you said snacks. (laughs) If you throw in cocaine and meth, it takes it to a whole nother level.
3: Officers found a black fanny pack with a loaded handgun, money, several plastic baggies containing narcotics, and they also found the ice cream and the snacks that this individual was using <laughs> to sell in the neighborhood. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, to me, this sounds like the same way that Big Worm was selling drugs in the movie on Friday. What you want?
8: What you got? Boy, what
3: the f- you want? <laughs> give me some chili Fritos.
2: Can I have my chili Fritos?
6: Can't have. Shit. I'm cold fat boy. <laughs> to give me my money back. Oh my Mama. money.
2: Back. Mama.
3: I hate well, a big perm, big worm <laughs> driving around the neighborhood in that ice cream truck. He's got the little hat on, playing the music. A young man wants some chili cheese Fritos, but he's not interested in selling cheese Fritos. He wants to get Smokey to sell some weed. But,
2: but, but at least Big Worm had like an ice cream truck. This dude in Santa Rosa, California, was just. Riding his bicycle?
3: Yeah, with a big bag. You know, like, I don't know if it was a Yeti cooler on one side and his (laughs) meth on the other. You know, if you wanted something, he was able to hook you up.
2: Okay. All right. Do whatever. you have to
3: keep that money separate? Like, if he wants yes. to do a budget at the end of the night. Now, this is how much we made in selling ice cream yes. bars. This is how much we made in selling math. I believe
2: an accountant would tell you, yes, you keep everything separate. You keep your inventory individually.
3: It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? So, let's rock
2: They're still looking for this psychopath that killed 18 people a couple of uh, nights ago in Lewiston, Maine. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there. I would say with this guy's background, his mental issues, uh, documented mental issues, documented um, uh, casual mentions of wanting to shoot up a National Guard Um, I would say he's probably taken his own life. If I had to bet, they uh, said that he got away on a, a jet ski and that his boat was missing. I think they found his boat. I hope, I really just hope he tied a cinder block around his ankle and didn't put a gun to his head.
3: And that's probably the most you know, likely situation. And I agree with, with you.
2: His mental health background and as bad as it was and as much of a lunatic as they're making him out to be.
3: The world would be better off if he were at the bottom of a lake right now. You're absolutely right. But just in case that's not how it's playing out, uh, authorities are searching the lake area that the mass shooting took place in. And Canadian officials are concerned that perhaps he would try to get across the border and go into Canada, where he would fly a little bit more under the radar. Now, ABC News, they've got a report That stated that his social media feed and his internet search feed had a lot of conspiracy theory content. Law enforcement
6: sources are confirming more details about his background, including his online habits and an interest in conspiracy theories on issues like a possible financial meltdown, gun rights, allegations that Democrats engaged in election fraud in 2020 and conspiracies about (laughs) COVID-19.
3: Again, that's from ABC News. Okay. so for those of you scoring at home, (laughs) we know everything there is to know about this guy's. search Search history 36 hours later but six years later we've got nothing on the lunatic that was hanging out of the window at mandalay bay eight months later we've got no information on the tranifesto that was left behind in nashville we have nothing at all on epstein's client list but hot damn. In 36 hours, oh we've got everything you need to know about this right-wing nut that killed everybody in Maine.
2: I was watching uh, live coverage today. They had a police helicopter and and on Fox News, and the reporter had to stop talking because she looked and saw that police had drawn down their guns, and they had some guy on the ground holding his dog on his knees. And I, This was somewhere in Maine, probably somewhere in Lewist, Lewiston, um, and it obviously wasn't the guy because the guy was able to stand back up and the police put their guns back in their holsters, but that poor guy must have been crapping his pants.
3: You picked the wrong yeah. time to make that walk. Yeah. Just the <laughs> right. wrong I'm just, place, just wrong my dog, time.
2: my dog. They're telling people to stay, still stay inside. And again, I repeat, I would be telling people to arm themselves.
3: Right. I wonder what gun sales for law abiding citizens are like if you know, in this area in Maine, in Lewiston, Maine.
2: It can't be that much, and I'll tell you why, because their entire homicide total for that state was in the high twenties. I mean, could you imagine if for the state We've, we're, we're working on breaking records again here in Marion County. We're going to go 200. over 200
3: in Indianapolis. <laughs> but even so, Boston doesn't hit numbers like we do. You're right. You're Reverend Charles right. Harrison told us that, you know, he would love it if Indianapolis adopted a criminal justice system the way they do it in Massachusetts, where you don't just give everybody, no matter how violent they are, an ankle monitor. You actually, and this is a pretty radical idea, Lock up violent people and keep no, them away from society.
2: Oh, no, that's. I know. Crazy, right? You're a radical. <laughs> you're a conspiracy theorist.
3: How about this, nige It looks like Joe Biden is going to have a Democrat primary challenger after all. Really? Now, we're not talking about RFK Jr., because he said he's going third party. What about he, Gavin some Newsom? Oh, Nige, this is somebody much, much bigger. Okay. It's not Michelle Obama either. Are you ready for this? Trying to primary Joe Biden is Minnesota Rep Dean Phillips. <laughs> As
2: Rob Kendall would
3: say, who... Representative Dean Phillips of Minnesota running for president, challenging Joe Biden in the primary. Here he is talking to CBS News. Are you running for president? I am. I have to. I think President Biden has done a spectacular
5: job for our country, but it's not about the past. This is an election about the future. I will not sit still. I will not be quiet in the face of numbers that are so clearly saying that we're going to be facing an emergency next November.
2: What is he talking about? Polling numbers? Polling numbers. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I mean, that's fine. Great. Run against him. You're not going to be able to debate him. No, I mean they're not letting Joe Biden anywhere near a debate stage. The establishment Democrats have their guy. This is it. All's they need to all they need to do is have Trump run against him. That's what they're that's what they're trying to happen, have happen.
3: And Dean Phillips that's, doesn't have uh, the name recognition to where yeah. he's even going to get covered by the media. Like his kickoff announcement here, I think CBS was the only one that covered this story. <laughs> now, had this been Gavin Newsom, had this been Michelle Obama, had this been Bernie Sanders, I don't know, anybody else that's a named Democrat, they would be having a parade hyping it up. But they know this is a guy just out to get publicity. And how do you start out? I mean, you're running against the guy.
2: How do you start out by saying, oh, he's done great these past four years, but the numbers, the poll numbers saying they, you know what I, you know what I mean?
3: Like Ask Jefferson to- Shreve. Isn't that his kind of uh, <laughs> MO? I love his gun policy. I love his crime policy, but we got to get Joe, we got to get Joe. Hawks that out of here. Uh, now, Joe Biden was reached for comment, and it seems like the old man is pretty feisty. He's ready for a challenge. Oh, this is what Joe Biden had to say when he heard the news that Dean Philip was challenging him.
1: Get ready, pal. You're going to in for
3: a problem. Joe Biden, <laughs> you, ladies and gentlemen. You got me. I thought we could have a legitimate clip. <laughs> Not from Joe Biden, I get, promise you. Get ready, pal. You're going to in for a problem. Meanwhile, on the Republican side, a candidate is dropping out of the presidential race. Somebody that did not make either stage of the debates. It's your friend, Larry Elder. I I
2: love Larry Elder. No. Must not have... Boy, nobody's buying that fish oil, I
3: guess. (laughs) I guess not. guess he
2: ran out of campaign
3: funds. The relief factor not doing as well as he thought. Uh, Larry Elder ending his presidential campaign. He's now endorsing Donald Trump. But I love Larry
2: Elder. I love him. He's he's great.
3: He's great on the radio. Yeah. And when he did that interview with Charlemagne the God, this high-profile black radio host. Syndicated. Syndicated radio host. And Larry Elder brought the heat to him because if you remember... It was Charlemagne mm-hmm. entering Joe Biden, interviewing Joe Biden, when we got the infamous, you, you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the interview with Charlemagne that spawned that soundbite. And when Larry Elder went on his radio program, he brought the heat.
5: Have you ever heard of <coughs> the term, a uh, n- wake-up call? Oh. No. It is an incident where a person of color forgets that they are of color and are reminded rather brutally by an unexpected act of racism. Oh, Have you ever brother, had any of oh, those? Oh, brother. I'm just asking. I'm just, have you, you think you've ever Well, had I'm, I'm acutely aware, Charlemagne, that I'm a black person, just as you are a black person. And when uh, Joe Biden insulted you by saying, mm-hmm. you ain't really black, we don't know whether or not you want to vote for me or vote for Donald Trump, <laughs> uh, it seems to me that should have been a wake-up call on your part. How dare this guy come in here wow. and insult you, a black man, and tell you you got to think a certain kind of way? I'm amazed that you weren't mad about that. Um, I didn't, I'm not going to say that. it upset me. Just like I'm not letting you upset me. You know what I mean? I don't tend to get upset over things like well, that. But what I did say- Well, well you just not-, not talk about, about a new wake-up call, and it seemed to me that <laughs> that should have been a wake-up call on your part, to have a white guy come in here, who also said, by the way, uh, uh, about Mitt Romney, um, because he didn't want to put more regulations on Wall Street, going to put y'all back in chains. And Joe Biden has lied for decades about his civil rights record, claiming that he desegregated movie theaters and restaurants in, in Wilmington, Delaware when he didn't any, didn't do any of that. He lied and said that he tried to visit Nelson Mandela during apartheid South Africa. He did not. Boy, he's and he bringing came in here heat. and told you you aren't even black and let you think for a certain kind of Way, it seems to me that should have been a wake up call for you, but it wasn't.
3: <laughs> Larry Elder just depancing Charlemagne. That was a complete dressing down. And that went on for like eight oh, or nine minutes. Wow. And Charlemagne's M.O., right, is supposed to be this fearless radio host. And Larry Elder goes on for like eight to ten minutes just de him and giving him a swirly. I mean, no, for the record, I'm not a Democrat or Republican. I, I, I think, didn't say I, you
5: were. Yeah, I think both. I don't are know trash. what you are. I, I never yeah, even I, asked you about your party affiliation. Yeah, I'm just saying, you, but you are black. Absolutely. And, and to have a white guy come in here and tell you you have to say uh, think a certain kind of way, otherwise you, quote, ain't black. Wow. How should I have replied to him? you think what I just now said how dare you insult me and tell me I, I yeah. think as, as a human being let alone as a black person I don't tell you how to thank Joe Biden. How dare you come in here and tell me how, to, how I, I, I should think. I'm going to vote for Donald Trump if I want to vote for Donald Trump. And, and if I want to vote for Donald Trump, it does not make me not black. 20 percent of black people, black men, as I said, voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Are they not black now? So only 80 percent of black people, black men walking around are really black. 20 percent are not because they voted for Donald Trump. How insulting is that? How condescending
6: is that? <laughs> mm, I, I mean, you're probably right, but I didn't take it in that way. I well, I think. did.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so Larry Elder ending his uh, presidency. Oh, campaign. man, that
2: was amazing.
7: But,
0: man, he's better on the air anyway. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: Nigel presents...
6: It depends upon what the meaning of the word is is
2: this anything all right let's rock and roll Yeah, and roll. Andrew, how do we play is this anything
3: i will run a few different stories by you you will break down all the information that's been presented and you give us a final verdict is the story anything or not okay so there's this video going viral of a woman in an urgent care waiting to find out what's in her ear She's having ear problems and ear pain. And then the video cuts to her getting a little bit emotional after finding out it was a black spider in her ear. Well, they confirmed that there is something in my ear. She goes, there's something in there. It's not a
4: moth. I am so embarrassed, first of all, because that's so gross. and I'm a clean person.
7: It's an uneasy feeling. (laughs) It was a spider. It was alive.
3: Oh, good lord. Yeah, that sounded something. like the Blair Witch Project. That's exactly
2: seeing. what I was thinking. You got Can you play the end again, Allison, where she finds out it's the black spider? It was alive.
3: <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs>
2: it's a black spider. Uh, yeah, that's terrifying. Have you ever had an insect inside your body in any, any sort of orifice?
3: No, Hammer? no, can't say that I've had an insect in an orifice. Okay,
2: you? Um, I'm trying to think, Allison. You would be thinking if you had an insect in any of your orifices?
3: Allison, any um, any critters, anything crawl up into a crevice? Thank goodness, no. Okay, no.
2: that would be incredibly gross and disturbing and creepy.
4: Her reaction was uh, okay. She
2: was terrified. <laughs> I, I would be, too. A live black spider inside. And you could hear it crawling around in your Stop. brain. Oh, my God. Like wow. In, like, what about, like, Star Trek Wrath of Khan? Remember the scene where they put the little ear bugs in uh, Chekhov's ear?
3: Oh, man. And
2: do you, do you remember that scene? It's, yeah. It's kind of reminiscent. That's kind of what I'm thinking of right now.
3: And every year, we have that story about so many people go to lakes, specifically down in the South, and bacteria gets in their ear, and it just starts brain, kind of like eating, eating
2: at may, their brain
3: or the well, back no, of their I, eyes. I have
2: been twice in my life. I've gotten I've been to lakes and then uh, days later I'm in the emergency room because my I have an ear infection swollen up tighter than a snare drum. My ear canal literally swells up tighter. So, I have had something similar, not having an animal or or an insect in my ear, but uh, I've had that reaction before, where it's so painful that I couldn't even function.
3: So, you've never had an insect in your ear? No. Have you ever had a Skeeter on your Peter? Come on! Everybody sang that song when they were kids, right? What's the what? I don't know the, the song. There's a skeeter in my beater. Knock it off! Oh God! That is funny. I know. You learn something here. More to the song. There's a skeeter in my beater. Knock it off. There's a skeeter in my beater. There's a skeeter in my beater. There's a skeeter in my beater. Knock it off. <laughs> See we have song time. Bravo, on the show. ladies
2: and gentlemen, on a Friday. <laughs> Skeeter on your Peter, <laughs> knock it off. I'm not gonna be able to get through the rest of this segment. <laughs>
3: Is this anything? <laughs> You'd never heard that before. I don't think so. Really, never, you know, sang, no, that never sang
2: that as a kid. Never sang that as a kid. Peter, knock it off.
3: Must be a Beach Grove thing growing up. <laughs> California woman caught her Amazon delivery driver on a security camera, violently throwing and stomping on a package that had just been delivered to her house. Here is Mandy Martinez talking about what she saw the Amazon driver doing to her package on the security camera. I
0: looked on my next camera and I just seen that guy. Just basically chucking the package to the door and i saw him stomping on the package i really want to know what he was thinking like why he decided to do all that
2: uh, maybe he had a Skeeter on his Peter, and he was trying to he was trying to off. get it off with the box. <laughs> he was trying to use the Amazon delivery box to knock off. <laughs> I can tell right now
3: you're still thinking about the song. I could I tell even... you any story in the world, and I could tell, like, I the didn't... little hamster in the wheel above your head is just singing the Skeeter on the Peter song. I didn't hear a word that woman said. <laughs> I didn't hear a word she
2: said. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Is there another one? A man was
3: wing surfing. I didn't know this was a thing. Wing surfing off the coast of Australia when a humpback whale came out of the ocean and basically just body
2: slammed him. I saw this. This is
3: amazing. He wasn't injured, but here's the moment that it happened. I saw the head come out, then I saw the rest of the body come out, and then I saw the whole thing above me, and at about that stage, I've got to be honest, I thought I was in trouble,
1: and it came down and landed straight on me, and then got caught in my leash, and dragged me probably about 20 to 30 foot under, and I could feel it against my skin the whole time. If it had barnacles, I would have been ripped to pieces, because the whale's body was beside me the whole time. To be honest, I thought it was all over. And as soon as I'm finished here, I'm, I'm back out this, so nothing will keep me out of the ocean.
2: Hold on. Skeeter <laughs> on my Peter lyrics. Skeeter on my Peter lyrics.
3: Roger in the YouTube chat. It wasn't just a Beach Grove thing. Um uh, uh, and Angela it's not, uh, Rocky Ripple song as well. And, and you're
2: you're you've we were you were saying knock it off, but there's other more Vulgar terms, I, I believe, instead of knock. Correct. There's, there's whack.
3: Yes. <laughs> I didn't know if we could say that or not, but you no, just, I'm just went
2: there. I'm, just, I'm not saying it in the in the entire. There's uh, there's also beat.
3: Yes. <laughs>
2: but you're saying knock it off. I was so trying to it. keep it classy with the Skeeter and the
1: Peter song. <laughs>
3: So let's go around the horn one time. On Everybody's sing a uh, verse of this, all right? But, but, but. I, I, I'm going to start, and then Allison, and then Nigel okay. finishes. All right. There's a skeeter on my Peter. Knock it off. There's a skeeter on my Peter. Knock it off. There's a
2: skeeter on my Peter. Knock it off. There's a skeeter on my Peter. There's a
3: skeeter on my
2: Peter. There's a skeeter on my Peter. Knock it off.
3: off. Yeah! Mike Pence used to sit in this chair. <laughs> it's the Hammer and Nigel show.
2: The Hammer and Nigel show. My name is Nigel. Hammer's here. Look who just wandered in the studio. Look at Hammer, this guy, the newest uh, full-time member of the WIBC on-air lineup, Tony Kennett, investigative reporter for Daily Signal. Soon, we'll have his own nightly show here on ninety-three WIBC. Tony? That's right.
4: And I, uh, I've been getting letters from like people in the Department of Corrections haven't opened yet. Not going to open that on air for <laughs> for security reasons.
3: Is this like like? In the NFL and the NBA, the rookies have to buy everybody lunch and bring donuts and carry the bags around. Like the next night with WIBC, does Tony Kennett have to like drive us there and be the (laughs) designated driver as the newbie? Now, a
4: lot of people say that's hazing. I see that as an opportunity. If you're going (laughs) to become known at the office, you got to show up with like steaks. We're talking surf and turf. You got to show up with the right bourbon. If you're going to do it, do it right. When does the show start? What is it called? Starts on November sixth. It's the Tony Kennett. Cast and uh, I just found out today, and because you know Hammer likes a tease, we do have quite the guest showing up for the first episode. Really? Oh well, yeah, you've got
3: Tony Danza.
4: <laughs> no, but I will say it's it's not just some senator just like hopping on the show. It's someone yeah. that actually some might consider interesting. You'll have to find
2: out. All right, November 6th, and you get a hell of a lead in, man. I keep on telling you this whenever we talk about the
4: show. best in the business. And, you know, someone I can, you know, really just trash talk as soon as they're off the air.
3: (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, did you get a chance to watch uh, any of the mayoral debates that took place this week? I know you watched the first one, uh, but what about last night?
4: I did, and for some reason, the lighting and the camera work made Shreve and Hogsett seem like characters on The Office. Did you get that vibe? Like like we had Michael Scott (laughs) debating Dwight (laughs) Schroot.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I kind of got that feel last night. Look, we played some audio earlier, and I just feel like with Shreve being down in this race, not insurmountable, but down about 10 percentage points here, he had a big opportunity in front of him to just bring the heat. Damn the torpedoes! I'm going after Joe Hogsett. I think Rob Kendall's right when he called Joe Hogsett the Jimmy Carter of mayors, but yet he <laughs> let him off the hook. You know,
4: when, when I was in college and, and uh, we were go, getting ready to go to nationals, and, you know, in soccer, there was a, there was a day that a couple of us on the team that were just were just garbage. We didn't bring our A game, and it was just evident. We were just kind of going through the motions. And I'll never forget uh, Coach Poole basically grabbing one of the guys by the shoulders and kind of shaking him back and forth and going, Do you even want to win? Do you even want to be here? He said, Because forget being on the bench. You'll be off this team right now. And boy, that was inspiring. And I got to ask Shreve the same question Do you want to win? Like, do you want? It is the most open mayoral election in Indianapolis's history. This is the easiest Democrat target you've ever had. The guy with with accusations of rehab that he still won't provide proof of where he was that night. You have all of the crime. You have the horrible state of the city. You have people getting shot left and right. You have the absolute mess of the financial system, the businesses. All you have to do is punch. And he stood up there like a uh, that that wimpy character. Oh dear, I guess I'm just <laughs> gonna run for office.
2: Why? Why do you think? I think, Tony, and it's something I've proposed to Hammer as well, because he's a Marion County voter, but why right. why is this the first time in 20 years that the Marion County mayoral election debates have been aired? What, what, are the stakes that big here?
4: It's not because are the stakes, the stakes are high. It's not because the stakes are high. It's because the frustration with the office of mayor is probably the most prominent that it's been in in quite some time, uh, coupled with the fact that uh, this, again, it is very hard to argue that Hogshead is not a soft target. This is the softest target. It's like Cottonelle toilet paper soft. Well, that's my favorite, by the I, way. You know, I, I figured yeah. you were a Cottonelle kind yeah. of guy. I'm yeah, going to look yeah. at you differently sure. from here on out.
3: But that's the kind of, that's the kind of race this is. When you think of things to wipe your butt with, you also think of
4: Joe Hogshead. <laughs> That's true. And Shreve's coming up and he, he again, how many times, like the opportunity was right there. We're talking like you have the entire basketball court to yourself. All you got to do is make a layup. And Shreve just stood there and scratched his genitals. Like What, oh, what does it goodness. take? What does it take for you to actually attack your opponent? He does it with you every single day. This isn't
3: 92. Play ball. And the thing that really bothered me last night was at one point, they're kind of going back and forth on the riots. It was brought up last night. And it's like two elementary kids like slap fighting each other. Right, right. But at one point, Boss Hawk said, does kind of get a little lippy with uh, Jefferson Shreve and says something like, clearly you're not paying attention or you're not listening. At that point, if you're Jefferson Shreve, if you have any testicular fortitude as a man, especially a man that's trailing by about 10 points in this election, why would you not use every bit of ammo you have. It's like, oh, I'm listening. You're not answering the question. You've not provided any bit of proof that you were calling any shots for night number one of the riots. You have not provided any proof of where you were during night one of the riots. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's this strange new idea
4: that's come up in the last 10 or 15 years when Republicans have to be the nice guy. And whenever you're in a debate, you have to just kind of trust that what your opponents saying are true and that voters
3: out there are going to know that what they're saying is but BS. But why is that? Because Donald Trump became the president doing the opposite. I would figure, you know, as much as people have tried to copy he's, Donald Trump. He's the guy who shattered that, by the way. Why hasn't anybody here in Indiana decided to f- use that formula, they fighting back? To.
4: They haven't had to. The Indiana Republican Party has not changed any strategies at all since 1987. There has not been a single, and by the way, the person who told me the most about that, about Indiana specifically, was Newt Speaker of the House Gingrich, who wrote the Republican model of fundraising and campaigning for decades. He's like, Indiana is backward in its Republican Party. Those were his words. Indiana is backward. We don't know what we're doing. We don't have to. Well, we're going to have the supermajority. Why, you know, get in there and fight? Why deal with anything? Why make a fuss? And look what it's doing. You have Shreve, who is the most impotent man. There are not enough ED commercials in the world to rescue (laughs) his campaign.
2: (laughs) Let me ask you this. Tony Kennett's here with us, um, investigative reporter for the Daily Signal. What do you think... Do you agree with Hammer's strategy of voting none of the above? Yes, you do. Okay, because I know like Tony Katz. Uh, I know he does. He, he vehemently disagrees with that. Lesser of two evils. You got to go. You got to get Hogshead out of there at no cost, uh, or, or or whatever cost. But you're saying you you agree with Hammer and and, and his strategy.
4: And, and Hammer and I've had this kind of conversation before, but I'm going to break it down in two to three sentences here. I understand why people say the lesser of two evils is a good voting strategy. I get it. I'm not saying they're invalid. I, however, am saying there is a greater risk of if you get Shreve in there, this will signal to the Indiana GOP and all of their consulting firms out of Chicago and L.A. and New York that they hire to run local elections that this is the only campaign candidate that can win in Indianapolis. This, The second that you confirm someone will eat lukewarm oatmeal, that is all you will be fed for the next several decades. Uh-huh. Yeah, wow. I don't want to eat lukewarm oatmeal. I will not vote for this clown coward in a costume.
3: It's the greater good. And that's what I've been saying for a while. You have to send a message to the Indiana Republicans, specifically Marion County, that these toast, borderline liberals that are masquerading as Republicans are not good enough. That's not what yeah. we want as voters.
4: No. And honestly, you know who understood this the best? The people under the jackboot of communism who, to when there was only one person on the ballot in Soviet Russia, people would stay home and not vote. And in fact, the Soviet Union had a law where if you didn't receive at least 30% of the vote, you had to redo the election. That's how people would would protest. The only protest that they had in that horrible country was just not voting. In this case, Shreve has not earned your vote. Shreve has compromised on every single Republican principle. He doesn't even know what he believes. His campaign office can't even answer questions as to what he believes. And
2: here's a question I always like to ask, Cameron. I'm always fascinated by by <clears throat> What if Sharif does win? What are you going to think? Now, are you going to breathe a sigh of relief and no. say to yourself, well, at least Hogshead's out of there? I don't like Sharif, but at least, you know, what What if he does end up winning?
3: So I explained this the other day. There's a meme that's making its way around the internet. It's been around for a while. It's an old guy in a plaid shirt opening up a Christmas gift. Okay. And it's the same plaid <laughs> shirt that he's wearing. <laughs> that's Hogshead and Shreve. It's the same guy. If Shreve wins, it's like having Hogshead as the the mayor. If Hogsett wins, it's the same stuff Shreve would want to do because Shreve's a fanboy of Hogsett. Like, look, it doesn't matter who wins. That's the problem. That's what yeah. ticks me off. Both of these dudes are the same. Actually, you're wrong, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's worse if
4: Shreve wins, because Shreve is going to govern exactly like Hawks said. This is what Katz gets wrong. Shreve will go He's already said it in everything. He's going to govern. He's going to restrict the IMPD from prosecuting on state law cases regarding abortion. By the way, that's a misdemeanor. You can't do that. And then he's also doing the same thing with the gun laws, everything else. So... If Shreve gets up there and continues to govern Indianapolis like Hogshead, guess who's going to get blamed for that? Shreve? Nope. Republicans. So, you are going to suffer if Shreve gets elected because you will now be blamed. And I guarantee you, no one in Indianapolis will ever vote for a Republican again. Speaking of the
3: blame game here... Who's to blame for this train wreck of a Shreve campaign? Because I do feel like, Tony, if you or if I or if Nigel or if Rob were tasked with getting Jefferson Shreve elected, I think it'd be at least a hell of a lot closer than it is right now. These firms out of Chicago, the washed up Indiana guy, the fat guy that hates guns, all these people working on his campaign. Who do we blame? Is it them or does it ultimately come back to Jefferson Shreve or the Indiana Republicans?
4: No, I don't blame a disease for being a disease. that That's not the idea. The, the blame is equally shared between two groups. Number one, the Marion County GOP who didn't vet their candidates. And I've talked with members of the Marion County GOP who do not like it. When I say, you should have vetted your candidates. like, well, how could we have vetted the candidate? By vetting them. By making them debate each other and actually getting policy prescriptions. And it was chicken blank yes. that Shreve did not talk about this
3: prior to the primary. Right.
4: And number two, it's the people who didn't vote in the primary. If you're only voting in the Marion County general election, it's your fault. The cat It's your fault. You didn't care. This is like the person who... who, Or you were fooled. No, who knows that the stack of dishes is getting really high. Yeah, I don't need to pay. It's okay. I'm sure it won't fall over. And then the dishes fall over and crash all over the floor. And you go, well, gee, how could that have happened? If you don't take the primary seriously, it's your fault. But there are
3: people who I know who voted for Jefferson Shreve. They did their research and said, well, he looks like he's fond of the Second Amendment. Mm He's got a good rating from the NRA. I haven't heard him say anything anything crazy, but the very first opportunity he got after the primary, after he had already won, was to go full liberal. And that's
4: why I say the blame is equally shared with the Marion County GOP, because the first thing the Marion County GOP should have come out and said, there's no law that says that they're not allowed to come out and say, you know what, no, we, we don't like him anymore. Yeah, he still has to be on the Republican ballot, but if we were you, we would write in, Abdul. That is what the Marion County, there's no law that says they can't say that. That's not defamation, that's not libel. there's no campaign law that says that. They should Done that. When's the show again? November 6th. Be there or
3: not, I guess. I'm not your dad. (laughs) (laughs) Tony Kennett of the Daily Signal. Tonus, you're the best. Thanks, guys. We are going to try to make some money. We've got some gambling stuff to do next.
2: The Hammer and Nigel Show. Hello, my name is Nigel. It's Jason Hammer over there. We're we gonna make some money,
3: man. We're gonna try. We're gonna try. Um, I've got the betting article posted live right now, wibc.com. I've also shared it on the Hammer and Nigel Show Facebook and Twitter at Hammer and Nigel. Uh, I've got my picks for the weekend. My colleague Scott Long, who's been on fire, by the way. He was four and one last week. I was three and too. Um, He's got his picks. Does that include uh, include the Colts
2: and the Saints this uh, Sunday?
3: I don't have any plays on that. I have a play on the IU game. IU is at Penn State, and (laughs) it's so embarrassing for Indiana. (laughs) Penn State is a 32-point favorite, and the team total, IU's total team points sits at over or under 6.5. <laughs> Las so Vegas can... odds makers aren't sure if the Hoosiers can score a touchdown. So I have got a play on that. You just have to watch the videos. Okay. Again, I am 20, 17 and 3. That's not bad. Uh, Scott Long, 22, 17 and 1. Pretty good. And we work with two awesome pros David Stefanoff, uh, followneverfade.com. He has been rolling with his VIP subscribers. He's really good at the NBA. And Kenny Britt of KB Sports, he is really good at football and horse racing. He's got this big $20 package for the Breeders' Cup right now. So, if you don't want to take the words of Scott and I, we're not professionals, but damn it, we have winning records. Go to our pros and check out the article. Now, sadly, Nige, one of the games I missed last week was The Degenerate Special. It's time for Hammer's
2: Degenerate Special.
3: All right, let's pick ourselves back up, right? Come on. We were done dirty last week, man. UConn plus two was up 21 to 10 in the fourth quarter. So, really, we were up 23 to 10 in the fourth quarter. Right and they blew it. They choked it away for the second straight loss in the Degenerate Special.
1: Oh, no! We suck again!
3: (laughs) So, even though I have a winning record, I had a winning record last weekend, it stings when I lose the Degenerate Special. So, this week... I need some sunshine. I need the Sun Belt. I need the Fun Belt. We're talking Louisiana and South Alabama. Okay. The raging Cajuns and the Jags. South Alabama is at home. They are a 10-point favorite. Now, the last time these teams took the field, the raging Cajuns of Louisiana, they lost to Georgia State 20-17. <laughs> they are nothing but losers. <laughs> Thank you, Donald Trump. <laughs> Meanwhile, South Alabama moved to 4-3 and three after beating Southern Miss like a drum, 55-3. The week before that game, Nige, they also scored... 55 points.
8: All right, all right, all right.
3: <laughs> South Alabama's offense putting up 35.4 points per game. Now, Louisiana runs the ball really well, but they struggle against the pass, and they don't pass really well. Okay, and That's the thing that South Alabama exceeds at, and South Alabama is at home. So, Donald Trump, I'm looking at a team at Louisiana here that can't pass the ball. They're going on the road and they don't score a lot what do we think they don't do anything for us they don't do a damn thing <laughs> i don't think they do a damn thing for us either so the door starting to open here you guys see where we're going south alabama 55 points in each of their last two games they've scored 30 or more in every game but two James Madison and Tulane, two very good teams defensively. If Louisiana falls behind early because all they can do is run, they have to abandon the run and I think we're home free. For South Alabama, the matchup is right. They're at home. The door is open for big points. The window of opportunity, Nige, it's real. Dr. Phil, what do you say to South Alabama with an open door and window of opportunity? Open the door or I'm going to Throw rocks through your windows, you dumb whore. That's
6: what I'm talking about, Dr. Phil. Yeah.
3: That's what I need to hear. There Cue up is. the band, Nige. There it is. So for this week, not only are we hitching our wagon to South Alabama, we are fading the Raging Cajuns, oh, baby. Oh, boy. South Alabama wins. They cover. Lay the 10. That is this week's Degenerate Special. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So
6: let's rock.
2: The uh, the Delphi murder trial. Uh, it just, gets, it's, 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 it's just keeps getting more strange and strange. Um, Is it already a circus? It, it, it seems sort of like it. We now have sort of a clearer picture of why Richard Allen, the accused murderer uh, in the Delphi case, we, we now have a, a, sort of a clear picture of why his lawyers
3: uh, both walked away from the case, right? So, going back a couple weeks, and again, I feel like we have to catch everybody up because this bizarre story changes so much. Go back a couple weeks ago, there were some crime scene photos that were leaked out to uh, local community members, members of the press that came from the Office of the Defense of Richard Allen. Murder Sheet podcast people, too, right? Yeah, they received a copy of it, again, unsolicited, and then they called the police and said, look, we've got these emailed to us. We didn't ask for this. But the backtracking shows that these leaked Grizzly Crime scene photos came from the office of the defense team of Richard Allen. Well, then the judge, Francis Gull, calls everybody into the chamber, right? Has this big come to Jesus meeting where she's going to lay down the law. Listen, no more leaks. We're putting a gag order on. That was what was suspected to be the case. But before she could do that, the defense Resigned both guys uh, the defense team for Richard Allen Andrew Baldwin and Bradley Rosie uh, they removed themselves from the trial well, Richard Allen wanted them to stay right so now what 's happening is that one of those former defense attorneys says that the judge should remove herself from the <laughs> trial because she has showed impartiality, the fact that she can't be impartial, rather, and that they didn't want to be removed, but the judge forced them to be removed. Now, earlier today, the judge, Francis Gall, blocked a new series of filings stating that a new judge be reinstated and that these guys were done dirty in any way.
2: Do we know? Know who leaked the photos
3: though. They came from the office of the defense. Now, both guys at the time, Rosie and Baldwin, claim it wasn't them. There are reports that it was a former employee that used to work in that office that still had access that got in there and sent these grisly crime scene photos of the Delphi murder out to I mean, various
2: that's, people. That's gotta be illegal, if nothing else. I mean that's that's it seems to me that would be some sort of jailable offense. And they need to trace that back. So they're saying basically you know before the judge could even, you know, put the gag order on these guys, they
3: they just up and quit. Right. But I, Rosie I, now, one of those attorneys, yeah. is saying that the judge ambushed him and his colleague Richard Allen before that. And <laughs> I don't know, man. This whole thing, if the whole defense angle was to make this a circus, as much as I hate to say it, it kind of feels like it's working. Now now, the judge, to her credit, I think has done as good of a job as you can with all the chaos going on. But one, there's no way that this trial is going to start on time. That's probably not going to happen. No way. And two, we still are waiting to see who's going to step up to the plate and defend Richard Allen. Richard Allen still wants these two guys, but they felt like they had to step away because the judge was pressuring them to do so, and that's why they called for her to resign, but she filed today. Yeah, that's not happening. I, I just I hope we can
2: get to some sort of resolution very quick. I, let's get this trial started. Um, make sure we've got all the uh, I's dotted, t's crossed, and we can find some justice for those girls, for Abby and Libby. I mean, it's because chaos right now. Right, right now, now, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem things are going very well for this
3: trial. It's chaos from the defense. It seems like the prosecution and even the judge kind of have things as well handled as possible but the defense team here their whole strategy is to make this chaos in a circus and man they might be doing a good job
0: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you
3: Uh, Keeping our eye on what's happening with the war in Israel, the United States forces shot down a potential drone attack near one of the bases in Iraq. This is the 20th attack on U.S. troops in the Middle East since October 17th, and the U.S. conducted airstrikes on two facilities in eastern Syria. Yeah, finally. It's about
2: time. I mean, this has been going on for weeks. There's been dozens of soldiers injured, um, and these were precision strikes that took out um, Took out what did they take out? A
3: weapons a, w- depot w- and w- an ammo yeah. storage area near an area that's usually okay. used by Iran's revolutionary uh, guard. I, I,
2: I don't know if this is like a, quite an escalation, but I'm glad Joe Biden signed off on this finally. Right. Um, it's one of the few things, a few good things I have to say about Biden is his his presence in Israel, um, sort of the show of force, or the the appearance of force with the carriers in the Mediterranean Sea, and finally fighting back against these like little Iran offshoot proxies that are that have been that have been trying to nail us over and there. It's
3: kind of the least he can do, though, for funding Iran and giving money to Hamas. Well, yeah, yeah, you say partly all of this is his fault. Uh, now, as for Israel. And again, we got a special guest coming up here in just about 20 minutes. He's going to break this down amazingly, Joel Pollack of Breitbart. Uh, But as for Israel, it feels like they're just kind of warming up here. They are getting everything lined up in the last... Hell, 24 hours to 48 hours, we've seen a lot more action from Israel, a series of massive explosions heard near the Israel-Gaza border, and they're still getting ready. They're preparing for this massive, large-scale ground invasion, but they did kill one of the Hamas uh, commanders overnight in that airstrike. This is being reported as the heaviest fire on the Gaza Strip from Israel since since the war began on October 17th. And I'm seeing updates about a, a, a ground ops uh, offensive expanding
2: as soon as tonight. Um, I, I'm not sure if that means a full invasion or incursion or or what, but it does seem awfully... It, it's, it seems like it's been delayed the in terms of, of the invasion.
3: Does it um, seem that Ogaza. way to us just because we're impatient and we think things should move quicker? Maybe. Or is this going yeah. at the right pace for Israel? Because this isn't going yeah, to be something true. where they go in and it's done by the weekend. You're talking it's about a long term... Months. months and months. Years, maybe. A long commitment of doing this. And you got to do it right, especially at the beginning. Uh, now, Trey Ginkst, he's the embedded reporter for Fox. And I think he's been doing a very good job. Um, he puts out this piece of information, quote... Israeli defense minister told journalists earlier today, it's not a question of if, but when Israel conducts a ground operation to eliminate Hamas. So again, eliminate Hamas to me is the key word here. We're not talking about, we want to flatten things. We want to get out of there. We want to send a message. That's not what this is about. This is about eliminating Hamas and whatever their definition is of that, this is going to be pretty wild. And the bigger problem is, I mean,
2: Hamas is definitely needs to be, they are evil, they are the face of, uh, they are demons, they are subhuman, but how do you eliminate an ideology? How do you eliminate the idea these Palestinians have that that Israel needs to be wiped
3: off the face of the map? And whenever Uh, this large-scale ground invasion happens, again, it's not going to be pretty. This is going to be some grisly stuff that's coming out of the Middle East.
1: Are you okay? Are you okay?
6: Yeah, I'm fine. I'm pretty far from okay. Uh, Are you okay with this? On oh, the Hammer and
2: Nigel. Okay! How about a little good news to start this off? We need some good news, right? I mean, sure. we need a good one. A Massachusetts Fire Department has a new ambulance thanks to a woman that left them $525,000 to purchase one in her will. Here are uh, here is the executor of the will and the EMS coordinator talking about the uh, nice gift. He had no idea that it was coming. I walked into uh, Steve Coleman's office one morning and I
3: said, "Here it is, Steve. I, I made his day. This ambulance was going to fill a, a, a big void. These opportunities seldom, if ever, come along. So uh, it was a, a wonderful gift uh, to share with us and. Uh, I hope to honor that memory by making the most of it so, are
2: you okay with this woman, her name is uh, Debbie Virgilio, Virgilio. Virgilio uh, leaving <laughs> half a million
3: dollars to get a new ambulance? So, yeah, it's a great gesture, but you said it's good news. How do you know this is good news? Maybe there are multiple angles to this story that can leave you depressed. Like, why is it that the Massachusetts Fire Department can't afford an ambulance on their own? They're hoping it praying somebody rich dies and leaves them one, because you heard the guy say, this is really going to fill a need. How about you make some cuts in the budget and you get another ambulance, because I think (laughs) those are important. I didn't think there was a way for this story to turn into uh, so much uh, cynicism here, but you might have a point, actually. And also, to (laughs) piggyback off of that, maybe this woman hates her family so much. (laughs) Maybe her kids are awful, or maybe she's just a rotten woman woman that hates her kids and left all of her money. And again, I don't know if this is all of her money, but it could be. Maybe she left all of her money to this fire department to get an ambulance and left her kids out (laughs) in the cold without a single penny.
2: I'm not sure this is a good story, Nige. Wow. You really flipped that one on its head on me. Okay, (laughs) Uh, How about an OJ story? Oh, this will be much better. Yeah, Taylor Swift and Brittany Mahomes, they've been doing like this some sort of secret handshake after the Chief. Score a touchdown! You know Taylor Swift is dating uh, Kelsey uh, Travis Kelsey and Brittany Mahomes is uh, um, Patrick's wife. Patrick's wife, so they're buddy buddy in the suite now. So on Sunday they added a chest bump. Now OJ Simpson works as a co-host on the. It is what it is, YouTube show. As an NFL analyst, the juice upset some fans of Taylor Swift and the Chiefs when he made a, quote, inappropriate comment about the women's celebration. Here we go. (laughs) Did you see where Brittany Mahomes and um, Taylor Swift chest bumped? Yeah, I did. I I thought it was
6: uh, interesting Uh, that Bambolans was hitting each other, you know. A little
3: little turn on. <laughs> little turn on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is creepy. OJ said they, quote, bumped boulders into each other. It was a little turn on. Are you okay with this? Man, I wish Norm Macdonald
3: were still alive today. I so wish Norm Macdonald were alive today to make a comment on this, because nobody used to roast OJ more than he did. No, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with OJ really doing anything. He really is one of the most despicable people that are alive today walking around. Like The fact that OJ is still alive, walking free, out here on the streets, it challenges your faith sometimes. Too many good people are gone, and O.J.'s out here walking around. And if I'm Taylor Swift or if I'm Brittany Mahomes, be very careful. The last time O.J. was turned on by a white woman, (laughs) she ended up getting killed. You know, and, and by the way, who are these two clowns that have O.J. on as a
2: guest that even give him a platform? Yeah, I have no idea.
3: I have no idea. I don't want to hear OJ do anything. My favorite thing, actually, is when he puts out a stupid tweet about something (laughs) and everybody replies (laughs) uh, that he's a murderer.
2: It's one of my favorite things to read. The, uh, The last Beatles song. Will be released next week. Are you excited? It's called Now and Then. Here's Paul McCartney, George Hamilton, the late George, oh, I'm sorry, the late George Harrison. I'd love to star, hear George <laughs> Hamilton. And uh, John's son, Sean Lennon, talking about it. This is uh, some sort of YouTube teaser video for the new song.
1: When we lost John, we knew that it was really over. I was talking to Yoko, and she said, Oh, I think I've got a tape of John. Paul called me up and said, he would like to work on Now and Then
6: put the bass on I put the drums on it 's the last song that
5: my dad and Paul and George and Ringo will get to make together
1: How lucky was I to have those men in my life
2: okay are you okay with the uh, the new the new Beatles song the last ...of the Beatles songs being released.
3: No, because you know it sucks. (laughs) Do I know that? I'm sorry. I haven't heard a single bit of this song, but we've talked about this a lot, Nigel. If it were any good at all. It would have been released a long time ago, or it wouldn't have been in some sort of vault for Yoko and John's son to find. No. And we see this all the time. Whenever a popular artist passes away, like a year or two later, we found in secret vaults all of these recordings. Yeah, there's a reason why they were locked up. (laughs) They were probably not any good. We've seen it with Prince. We've seen it with Michael Jackson. It's all the crap that they didn't want released when they were alive. Now there are exceptions to this rule, like when Tupac and Biggie were killed. Those albums were scheduled to come out anyway. Well, sure, yeah, yeah. Those were finished products. Yes. They were going to be released. They just happened to be released after their passing. Um, these were things that were probably never meant to see the light of day. So it's a big nothing burger for I mean, me. It's been around since 1970. John Lennon wrote it back in 1970.
2: He died. They tried to mess around with it in the 80s or 90s with the late George Harrison. But they couldn't, the technology wasn't there to grab John Lennon's voice off the cassette. And now that the technology is where it is, they're like, Yeah, well, let's make some money with this.
3: I promise you, Paul McCartney would have been able to figure out a way to make that song work, technology or not, had it been any good. Like back in the day, he yeah. would have figured it out. <laughs> now it's almost like, eh, what the hell? We've already sold all the rights away. We might as well just throw this turd against the wind.
2: Have you heard of the There I ruined it guy? It's one of my favorites. We've played the There I Ruined It guy's work before. He took Michael Jackson's Thriller. Listen to this. He took Michael Jackson's Thriller and turned it into a bluegrass song.
6: Because
3: Are you okay with that? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I am absolutely okay with that. I love that. Again, if you have some time, go to YouTube yeah, and look for the entire you know, list of songs the from There I Ruined It guy. Look at the entire channel. Subscribe. You'll be on that thing for hours. Like what he has done with Pearl Jam songs yes, and the Red Hot favorite. Chili Peppers and Eminem songs so good so creative that's fantastic yes i am okay
0: with that whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you
2: It's a Hammer and Nigel show. Uh, I want to go straight to the hotline and bring on Breitbart senior editor at large, Joel Pollack. He is traveling home from being embedded in Israel. Joel, you've been doing some incredible reporting on the ground in Israel, but I I can't imagine what it's like, obviously, being of the Jewish faith, but also having to report on the aftermath of the atrocities perpetrated by Hamas there. Let's start by you telling our audience where exactly were you and what did you see?
7: Well, I went all over the country to see the various impacts of the Hamas terror attack. On Sunday, I went to Kibbutz Be'eri, which is one of the Collective farms that is along the border. If your listeners have heard of kibbutzim, they're basically farming communities that people live in. Sometimes they commute to other jobs, but often they share agricultural jobs on the farm and other duties as well. And these are very close knit, tight communities, often very left wing because they're somewhat socialist. And the irony, of course, is that these communities of left-wing people, many of whom are peace activists and do things with Palestinians, they were the ones hit by this terror attack. And it seemed like that area was hit the hardest, almost. Well, that's because it's along the border. So those particular communities were along the border with the Gaza Strip. And when the terrorists opened up the fence and attacked the Israeli military positions, they raced to the closest communities. And they knew exactly where they were going. They had used the workers from Gaza that Israel had generously allowed into the country, they used them as intelligence-gathering agents. And so they knew everything about each of these communities, how many guards they had, what the families were, if they had pets, everything. And they went in there and they slaughtered as many people as they possibly could. Um, And I was taken to the aftermath of that, and it's just horrific. They went into the town of Stiro, and they just shot anybody they found in their cars. They attacked a police station. I went to the police station, and you can still find the bullet casings on the ground, both the AK-47 casings on terrorists and the uh, the, uh, 5.56 casings of the uh, NATO rounds that are used by the Israeli defense forces. And I also was taken to a military base where journalists were shown footage of— the GoPro cameras and surveillance footage of the attack itself, we saw some of the footage of horrific atrocities committed by Hamas, just absolutely terrible stuff.
2: And I haven't really, I I can't, I I can't look at some of those, some of that footage. I I scroll past it immediately, but that's your job um, to report on this. Does that have an effect on you as a human being? Obviously it does, but I'm assuming you just have to compartmentalize and push on and do your job and tell the story.
7: It is a challenge. The hardest part for me was when we got to Kibbutz Be'eri, I knew that there were houses with um, blood on the floor, dried blood on the floor. and. I didn't know whether to look for those houses or simply to focus on what I could see. We only had a very limited time there because there were military operations in the area. In fact, that day, they had caught one of the terrorists who had been hiding out in Israel for two weeks near the kibbutz. And so during the entire time I was there, you could hear tank fire because the Israeli military was trying to engage any terrorists that might have remained in the field. So I had a very limited time, but I I had to decide, am I going to go into the... uh, Homes, am I going to try to look for, you know, these these gory scenes of blood or am I going to just stick to what I can find in this immediate area? Sure. I, I just I I just couldn't I, I couldn't bring myself to ask you know one of the soldiers can you show me a house where there's a lot of blood in it you know because sure. I need I need the pictures but maybe I should have said that I mean maybe maybe as a journalist I should have said that but instead I just focused on what was in front of me I I, I couldn't really bring myself to um, to sort of fetishize the the violence but it was it was just horrific
2: Breitbart senior editor at large Joel Pollack uh, traveling home from being embedded in Israel can you describe now the the attitude or the emotion or the passion or the anger, is there hope in Israel and not only with the civilians, but the soldiers as well, what's moving forward, how, what's the feeling?
7: Oh, it's an incredible feeling in Israel. People are completely united. People feel determined to win. They're determined to invade Gaza and get rid of Hamas. I spoke to soldiers who were massing on the border they love america they're so glad that america is helping them they're taking some american flags actually into battle with them because Mm. they're they're very grateful to the support of the american people for for, for that support for the ammunition that the u.s is giving them for the military aid they are grateful to all of us here because they feel a kinship with americans Mm. they understand americans have experienced terrorism as well and so, the soldiers are ready to go; They are eager to fight there's nothing on earth that's going to stop them from going in they're, they're willing to be patient and to wait, but they cannot uh, do so until they've given the order until they've been given the order but but they 're there. there are There are three hundred and sixty thousand reservists that were mobilized. The army only needed about one hundred and fifty thousand, but they had such a huge response that they've been able to deploy almost in fact more than twice as many people apparently uh, and people are refusing wow. to go home they, they just they, they want to be in the fight and and in society in general, those who aren't in uniform are volunteering they're delivering food to people they are making sure that orphans whose parents were killed are taken care of they're doing whatever they can to help so there's, there's just a spirit of unity and the whole country is, is in this fight together
2: are you happy with the united states response so far joe biden's response the the battleships the carriers in the mediterranean uh, the show of force
7: You know, I think that Biden has finally come around to Trump's policy on Israel. The reason there was peace for four years under Trump is that Trump made it absolutely clear that if Israel ever got into trouble, he was just gonna let Israel do whatever it wanted to respond. And that was enough to scare Iran and Hamas and these other groups away from doing anything while Trump was around. But when Joe Biden came to office, he did the opposite. He put pressure on Israel. He gave hundreds of millions of dollars to Palestinians that had been withheld by Trump because he was concerned about funding terrorism and you can see the result there was a war in may 2021 a few months after biden took office and there's a war now yeah. but biden has changed now he's got trump's policy now he's saying that israel not only has the right to respond but the duty to respond and he's sent the aircraft carriers to warn iran away from opening up another front in lebanon but I think he's doing the right thing now. It comes a little bit late, but yeah. the Israelis are very grateful to the American government, including President Biden. Even, even a lot of Israelis who didn't like him are telling me we're glad he did what he's done. He's, he's helping out in a time of need. So there's a lot of positive feeling toward Biden, in much the same way there was toward Trump, even though people also understand that his policies in general probably weren't helpful no. and may even have may even have been very harmful.
2: Do, do Israelis care about lawmakers here at home, like the Talibs, the Omars, the pro-Palestinian demonstrations? Is that even on their radar?
7: It is very much on their radar. Uh, Israelis are particularly concerned about the college campuses in yes. the United States. Yes. And that's partly because Israeli... Uh, high-tech entrepreneurs have so many connections with American research institutions and you know for Israelis as for many other people around the world the American university system is the pinnacle of research and academic achievement and there are many Israelis who study here and they're shocked in fact they've been experiencing a kind of hostility at some of these elite schools for quite some time because the left has been taking over there and the left has decided that Israel is evil. So yeah, Israeli I saw
2: kids, the report you put out with the with the students that had to hide the Jewish students that had to hide in the library from the Palestinian demonstrators.
7: Oh, those are Jewish those are Jewish kids, not Israeli kids, but oh, yeah, they yeah. were they were barricaded in the library but but you know, Israelis are watching what's happening on campus in America with a great deal of alarm and what's here's the irony of it right these pro-Palestinian activists who shout free Palestine and from the river to the sea Palestine will be free what they're calling for then is the genocide of Israel they yes. want to get rid of Israel Israelis to get out well if you say that in Cambridge Massachusetts and Berkeley California what you're saying to Israelis effectively this may not be your intent but what you're effectively saying to them is you're not safe outside Israel we don't want you to feel safe anywhere so It has actually strengthened Israel's resolve to fight and destroy Hamas because Israelis understand there's nowhere else to go. You can't leave Israel and escape the hatred because, unfortunately, there's hatred even in the United States, which is the most pro-Israel country in the world. Americans in general and the American people are incredibly supportive of Israel. But yep. because these places where Israelis and especially Jews live in urban places, or Jews live in urban places for a variety of historical reasons. But basically, many of our festivals and so forth require there to be a community. It's very hard to live a Jewish lifestyle if you're kind of on your own middle of nowhere. So Jews tend to live in cities. And these are the spaces places where Jews live and where they're most threatened. I mean, that incident you mentioned of the kids barricading inside the library, Scary. that was in New York City. Yeah. New York City, Unbelievable. Like, the, most Jewish, the most Jewish city in America. So, the the Israelis are seeing this and they say, Okay, well we're just gonna fight. There's nowhere else to go. These Palestinians who want us to leave, there's nowhere else we would be safe. We're just gonna you know, we can either be murdered in our beds or we can die fighting and, and they're prepared to die fighting. And all those soldiers are going to battle knowing they might die, but they're also knowing that they're gonna prevent any other family from ever being murdered the way that Palestinian terrorists murdered these families in the border communities.
2: One more question here. We're speaking with uh, Joel Pollack, Breitbart Senior Editor-at-Large, of uh, traveling home from being embedded in Israel. And it's a shop question. And I'm, I'm really just fascinated with your job and what you did and the reporting you did. But how did you make the decision to go to Israel and once you got there, how did you know where to go? Do you call up Alex Marlowe, the editor in chief, and say, hey, book me a ticket to Tel Aviv. I'm going in. Like, how, how? What are the mechanics of all that? I didn't
7: ask anybody to buy my ticket. I bought it myself. Wow. I had to go. Wow. I had to go. Well, I had to be there. I, I, I got tired of covering it from a distance. And I got tired of the debate on social media and I talked to my wife and I said, I'm going. Wow! And I just bought my own ticket and I went and Breitbart was very supportive, but this was my decision. It was my own trip actually. That's incredible. And I had to be there and I wanted to be there, not just to report, but I wanted to show solidarity with the people there so that they knew that the outside world cared about what was going on there. and. I'm very glad I went. It was very, very important. I'm hoping to go back again in a couple of weeks, but it's really, really important that that we let them know that they're not alone and that we want them to win. And I, I think that, that, you know, there are no left-right distinctions in Israel y- anymore. You can take the most left-wing person, they're still eager to fight this war because, Left-wingers were murdered alongside right-wingers. I mean, there there was no distinction. People understand this is a war for existence. And while there is some concern for the loss of life on the other side, there are certainly some Palestinian civilians who've been placed in harm's way by Hamas. The Israeli people can't allow this threat to exist alongside them anymore. They just cannot allow it. And they're going to eliminate it because they want to feel safe again. When you look at how difficult life has been for the last 15 years, ever since Israel pulled out of Gaza, Mm -hmm. hoping to get peace. They got rockets instead. They got invasions. They got kidnappings. Now they get the world's condemnation when they fight back. They're just not prepared to take it anymore. And they're, and they're just going to go in and, and get rid of class. And it, whatever the cost is, they're prepared to pay it.
2: Uh, you can find his work, Breitbart.com, Breitbart Senior Editor-at-Large. Joel Pollack, I know you have a long history with this audience and this station here in Indianapolis, back with the Greg Garrison days and, and big calling in on Big Tuesday. So we um, we really appreciate all the work you've done. And uh, call us back in a few weeks with enough.
7: If you can. Thank you, and I appreciate the support that you've given us and appreciate your listeners and readers of our site. Stay tuned. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show.
2: Right now, Hammer and Nigel present Beer Sample. Fry. I got some beers. Let's drink them,
3: huh? Beers on sale, people. Come down, get you some.
2: Brought to you by the fine folks Thompson Furniture and Mattress in Columbus. They just delivered uh mattress for my son last week. Free of charge, by the way. Free delivery, Thompson Furniture and Mattress. When everybody else is
3: raising the rates, Thompson Furniture still. Free delivery and setup.
2: All right, what do we have here today? What are we so looking at? So, one of here? my
3: favorite beers that's not a local product is Spotted Cow out of of Milwaukee. Well, this is a little spinoff of Spotted Cow. It's from the same group that makes it. New Glarus Brewing. New Glarus Brewing. And it's something I would like to see Kate Upton do a little bit more often. Totally Naked is the uh, name of this. Crack there that bad boy open totally there. Totally naked. It's kind of the offspring spinoff of Spotted Cow from New Glarus up in Wisconsin.
2: There you go. Pass it to you. Let me pour a little glass here. To it's the a-
3: weekend, everybody. Finally. Cheers, Cheers. to you. Cheers. Here we go. I like it I like it I am a fan everything about it I like new Glaris I like spotted cow and I like things totally naked <laughs>